right? We're in this series, God Never Said That. Kind of working through some of these phrases that we kind of put in God's mouth and pretend that he said or believe that he said. And you can see how damaging that could be. Believing something, and oftentimes we believe something, you know, that he said that's similar to that. But believing something similar to what God said, but he never really said that, can be very dangerous. That could lead you down a different path and take you to a different place. It's kind of fun preparing for this. I was looking at uh, companies that try to go overseas. You know, when companies kind of take their brands overseas and they got to translate it. I think it was a good example of, man, how something could be a little bit similar, but yet in the end very different. So KFC wanted to go global. They wanted to go to China. Anybody remember KFC's slogan? Finger licking good, right? So KFC finger licking good. And they translated Chinese. It was similar, but instead of KFC finger licking good, it was KFC, eat your fingers off. That's different, right? You know, like I'm sure it sounded similar, but that's a whole different meaning. One's like, mm, one's like, like that's very different. Schweppes tonic water. When they went into an Arabic nation, tonic water became toilet water. Similar word, that's a different vibe, right? Tonic water, toilet water. Some of you think that should be White Claw's actual slogan, but that's not what this is about. So what I'm saying is, look, sometimes it could be silly. Oh, that's funny, and re- KFC has to rebrand sometimes. Believing, not really understanding what somebody said could be disastrous and deadly. I heard a story this week about one of the most unfortunate mistranslations in history. And it was at the end of World War II when the European front had already been decided. So kind of Europe has surrendered and Japan was left and they were asking, the press was laying into the Japanese prime minister, are you going to peacefully surrender? He answered with one word. That gets back to the U.S. generals and they, their understanding of what he said was, that's not even worthy of a response. Unworthy of comment. And they took that as a deep slight and understood that there's nothing they could do. They're never going to back down. If you really look into it, most linguists say that's actually not what he said. That word can have a little bit different meaning to where he really could have been undecided. And what he probably was saying is no comment. Do you see the difference between no comment and unworthy of comment? Ten days later, they dropped the atomic bomb. Now, I don't know, I can't rewrite history, I don't know what I've gone, but you see the difference of understanding what somebody really says, not, okay, something similar is just good enough. Now we're talking about God. What did God really say? And sometimes we believe something close to what he says, and that can be disastrous, deadly. Some of you have experienced that. So we're going to unpack another one this week, and the phrase is, God is punishing me. And I, like many of you, are tempted to believe this. That God one day is eventually, he's going to punish you. And I believe this even on a small scale, I can wrestle with this. Okay, I don't spend time with him. I don't get in the word. Or I'm not the husband or dad I should be. And then something goes wrong. And I think, man, this is God punishing me. This is God getting me back. See, I deserve this. See, there's day to day. But I've seen people There's been seasons in my life of paralyzed by fear because they think God is going to punish them. God is coming for them. 
So you think of the stuff that you've done in your life. You're ever tempted to believe this? Not the stuff that you tell people, not the stuff that you share in your testimony, like the messed up stuff. Like the really jacked up things that you've done in your life that almost nobody knows about. Tell me you're not tempted to be fear that God's not going to come for you eventually. After what you've done, and I've seen people paralyzed in fear that eventually all that jacked up stuff God didn't forget, and he's going to stick it to me one day for what I've done. You ever sit in that fear? Maybe God's punishing you, or maybe. And here's the thing. We all have to process difficult things. You know, a difficult trial comes your way, an illness, bad news. Almost everybody on the planet goes, why is God doing this to me? And we start to think, is God punishing me for what I've done? It's easy to believe there, and let alone, I know people paralyzed in fear. That, okay, life's good now, but you're just waiting for the shoe drop because that messed up stuff, you think God forgot, okay, one day he's coming for you and God's gonna punish you. Awfully tempting to believe that and to go down that road and live in fear. Maybe not me, God's, my kids one day, God's gonna take it out on them for what I've done and we can be crippled in fear. My hope is to free you up from that fear of punishment because that phrase that maybe you heard growing up in church that God's gonna punish you, you know the problem with that? God never said that. God never said, as you, a believer in Christ, that you should live in fear because God is eventually gonna punish you for what you've done. Now he said some things, Maybe similar to that, but it is extremely different. So I want to look at, okay, what did God really say in light of our life, in light of our sins? Dive in together this passage, pick it up in Hebrews 12. Please follow along as I read. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. See, God doesn't punish, but he does discipline his kids. And maybe you're thinking like, come on, isn't that just semantics? Like, It's both bad. Isn't discipline and punishment the same thing? To which I would say no, and I would award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. They're different. They are different paths that lead to different places. And that's what I want to spend the time unpacking. Understanding, okay, when tough stuff comes my way, to understand the difference between discipline and punishment. Because as a believer, as a Christian, I don't think God is punishing me. So let's walk through this. The reality. Here's the reality of the difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is payment for past sins. Punishment is, okay, you've done the crime, now you do the time. Because of your behavior, you racked up this debt, now it's time for you to pay off that debt. That's punishment. That's the penalty you receive for the mistakes that you've made. It's punishment. Discipline is a plan for future improvement. Now, both can be painful. 
But one, the goal is plan for improvement, growth. God trying to get you out of a sin in your life. God trying to mold you to become a better wife, husband, man, whatever it is for you. You know what? Sometimes that involves a little bit of pain. You ever hear the term growing pains? Like my daughter is growing. Sometimes she'll wake up at night because her legs are aching because growing is painful. It causes pain. And you know this to be true. Ask anybody you've ever met that has like had maturity in Christ and say, hey, when did you grow? Like when did you most grow in your faith? Oh, when things were cushy. You know, when things were smooth sailing, I was just growing like a weed. You know, I was praying like crazy. Said nobody. God always uses difficulty. It is through pain. I mean, we are stretching ourselves. Did you really think that like becoming a better husband, becoming a better parent, dying to self would just be a painless process? It always involves a little bit of discipline and pain. It doesn't mean God is paying you back, that you've messed up, now I'm coming to get you. It's our time to square up. It's different than you're going down this bad road and I want to help you improve. I want to help you grow. So the reality is, these are very different processes. Secondly, the result is different. So what God is doing is different and is same as the result. So to punish somebody, you, know, you cripple them. You make them worse off. You set them back. Discipline is you improve them. You make them better off. You understand it's a different result. It's a different trajectory. When I started out in ministry, the year I started in ministry, the date that I started was August 1st. On July 9th, it was one of the worst days of my life. My world crumbled on top of me. And I remember being so mad at God. I'm supposed to be a pastor telling people about you. I've never doubted you more in my life. It felt like I was in way worse place. How can I tell people about who God is when I'm struggling to believe his presence in my life? It'll feel like punishment at times. It'll feel like whatever, you know, you get sick, you lose your job, like God is setting you back. You know the truth? God was stretching my soul. Like God was building compassion into my soul and that's painful. But I could sit here today and tell you I'm a better pastor because of it. I'm not worse off that God wasn't trying to set me back because of the dumb stuff I've done. It's a whole different result. And it's hard because it may feel the same. They both feel difficult, but it's a different path. The reality is different. The result is different. And you got more R words coming at you. This is a sub point. And I still alliterated it. You're welcome. All right. The reason is different. The reality, the result, the reason that God brings these difficult things in your life. Punishment is wrath. It's anger. Discipline is done what? The Lord disciplines those he, say it louder, it's on the screen, you're not going to get it wrong, he disciplines those he loves. It's done out of love. And we get so afraid of God's loving hand molding us in our lives. But it doesn't feel like that. Maybe we just don't trust God. 
You know, some of the harshest discipline that I've given my kids, you know what it's for? When they dart into the street. I mean, that is some of our sternness. Like, you don't understand, this can't happen. Why do I discipline them to teach them not to run in the street? It's because I don't want them to experience the joys of playing in the street. It's so much fun. No! I don't want them to get hit by a bus. I love them. And so I'm going to do everything I can to keep them from going down that road. But they may think, oh, it's bad. There's nothing but love that is pouring out of me in that time, even if, man, I'm allowing a little bit of pain and consequence in their life. Do you understand how radically different your life would be if you actually believed what we just sang? that God is for you, that God isn't punishing you, that he's coming alongside you because he loves you and he's going to try to mold you to become a better person? Do you understand how different that would feel? How different you would respond to difficulties in your life when you understood it was out of love? Final R. You would respond totally different. The response to punishment is we try to escape it. The response to discipline is, yeah, it's hard, but we embrace it. I think of it, here's a good illustration when you think of the difference between punishment and discipline. Think of a sports analogy. It's a difference between a penalty and practice. You know, like when the, the ref throws a penalty flag, like holding face masks, helmet to helmet, whatever that means. I can't figure out what helmet to helmet is these days, but you get the point, right? Like that's a penalty. Holding, 10 yards, right? That's punishment. I'm setting you back. I'm going to disadvantage you. That's a penalty. That is punishment for you messed up. Now you're going to pay the price. Is that referee for you? No. A ref gets paid not to be in your corner. A ref can't be biased. They have to be, I am not for you because it's my job to penalize you. And that's some of how you view God. God is the big cosmic referee in the sky waiting for you to slip up so he can throw the flag and set you back. Of all that stuff you've done, oh, still struggling with lust, porn, well, now you're going to lose your job. Back it up. Of all the stuff you've done in your childhood, now you're not going to get married. You're not going to find the spouse and God's going to throw the flag and he's going to set you back because it's punishment time. And some of you are raised in church where you feel that God is just the big cosmic referee in the sky waiting for you to slip up so he can stick it to you and set you back and even better yet, even bring up some of the stuff in the past and lay it on sticker. Some of you really think that's God. He's up to punish you. He's the referee in the sky. God is much more like a coach. He's more like your trainer. What does a coach do? They're going to push you. Like, does anybody like doing laps? Does anybody like running suicides? No. They intentionally allow you to go through pain. Why? To grow you stronger. So that you can reach your potential. Practice hurts. Getting a penalty hurts, but they are very different. So if you're in this place that God is trying to punish you, you try to escape that. We negotiate, we hide, we lie. If that is your response to sin, that tells me you might be kind of on that punishment train. You think God is going to punish you. And so we got to negotiate, right? So you think of punishment, think of like the court of law. What are they always going to try to do? 
hey, strike a deal. Let's bargain. And we do that with God because we think he's punishing us. Well, God, I swear you make me better. I'll never cuss again. Stop saying that because you're going to cuss again. So stop pretending. But the point is stop trying to negotiate with God. It's not about trying to escape punishment. God's like, what are you talking about? But man, if, you know, if it gets out who I really am, if your past really catches up with you, then you're afraid God's going to punish you. So what do we do? We hide our shame. We don't let anybody know. We let people know you know, some of our sins, like, oh man, I, you know, road rage, I lose my temper. But we don't like tell them like the real messed up stuff about us because we're afraid of punishment. And then what we do, we try to, we, we minimize it, right? We try to minimize it because God's going to punish me and I got to make my choices seem not that bad. Well, I did the best I could or I was trying my, and we try to make it seem like it's not that bad. That's the best that kind of a non-Christian counselor can give you is to help you justify your sin a little bit more. And I want you to be gracious to yourself, but you're never going to find healing by just making it sound like, but it wasn't that bad or I don't know. Oftentimes, you know, if people come to me and we'll have time, you know, for counseling, and I have the privilege of people will kind of bear some of their soul to me and tell me some of the messed up stuff they've done. And you know how I respond often? Man, that is really messed up. And many of you write down, don't ever schedule an appointment with that mean man. I don't stop there. It gets better. But here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get them off this punishment scale where they're trying to make it sound not that bad, like they're actually a pretty good person and they've done some other good things. There is no healing down that road. What I want them to know, yes, you've sinned. I'm no better than you. I've done messed up stuff like you. Stop trying to hide and negotiate and minimize it and ask God to forgive you and heal you. When he does that, punishment is not a part of the game. When you realize God is for you in his love, you can embrace it. So when really hard things come your way, you don't have to hide and try to get out of it. You could say, this is going to sting, but okay, God, what are you teaching me? Discipline, the hard part is we always think it's negative. You discipline your kids when they're doing something wrong, so I discipline them. Oftentimes hard things, even biblically, it's not just God punishing, God disciplining you for you doing something wrong. God's discipline, he's discipling you. He's teaching you, he's growing you. And yeah, that probably, that might at times involve, you know, stop walking in that sin. So when hard things come, how do you process, you embrace it. Okay, God, what do you want me to learn? I don't have to run from this. Is there a sin that I've been stuck in you want to help me get out of? Is there, you want me to grow in some virtue? We lean in. Why? Because we are dead secure in God's love for us. But we doubt his love. We don't trust him. So we hide and we're afraid. If you're looking for a memory verse, a life verse, man, I'd recommend this one. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
If you are afraid from God, if you are hiding from God, that tells me that I have not been perfected and fully grasped his love in my life. What does fear have to do with punishment? Love and punishment, I mean, fear and love are incompatible. Listen to this quote about this idea. Continued existence in fear is a sign of an inadequate relationship with God, which is meant to exist on the plane of love. Moreover, those who live in fear before God are already punished by this fear. Be like, man, that's a deep quote. Part of it has to be deep when you've got a name like Verlinda Vergenbergen. That dude's got to be smart. Like, if your name can be a piece of Ikea furniture, like, I'll take a Vergenbergen. You better be smart. That just sounds like a smart guy, and I think it is. Because here's the deal. Look, if you're in that place of negotiating, hiding, afraid, if you feel shame, have you really allowed the love of God to wash over you? God never said, yeah, he'll let you in, but you watch your back. You push it, then he's going to come for you. You mess up. You can mess up a little bit. You messed up too much. Now I'm dropping the hammer. God never said that. So I'm going to ask you, who did? You heard that somewhere. It's helpful sometimes to understand where that came from. Maybe you were raised in that kind of church. Maybe it was a coach, but oftentimes... Maybe it was your parent that sent you that message. Not of love, but of fear. I'm amazed how often when I ask people, tell me about your relationship with your father, and they'll describe it. Tell me about your relationship with God, and they'll describe it, and they are exactly the same. I don't know who told you that God is going to punish you and watch your back. Don't slip up too much because he's coming for you. I don't know where that came from, but I know God didn't say that. And look, we all have imperfect parents, but we got to tune in to what God actually said. Do you know what God actually said? I'm not telling you that, oh, maybe God's not punishing you or probably isn't or it's unlikely. I'm telling you, it's impossible. It is impossible for God to be punishing you if you're a believer in Christ. If you've given your life to him and he's adopted you, it is impossible. It is simple math. It is gospel math. Let's look at the scriptures together. This Hebrews 10 Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Listen to this. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Where God has paid off your debt, no more payment is necessary. For the wages of sin is death. We messed up and messed up big. And we deserve payment. We deserve death. The death was paid in Christ. Therefore, no payment is necessary. And we punish ourselves with fear. And we continue to punish ourselves when God has already paid the price 
If God has squared up with you, you don't need to keep paying. My basement flooded out a couple times recently, and I probably needed to repent with the plumbers that I was dealing with. It was a couple times they had to come back out to my house, and from my perspective, I felt like they were charging me twice for the same thing. I wasn't happy. Right? I mean, imagine you going to get your car worked on and they tell you the bill and you pay up that bill. Two weeks later, they send you a bill that you, for the, the balance you already paid. Do you just say, well, I guess they did a good job. I'll just pay her twice. No, you would be livid. I already paid this. And that would be crazy. Just as crazy when you punish yourself for what Jesus already paid for. That's just as silly. Even our law, we know this double jeopardy. You can't be charged twice for the same crime. And that's what you and I do every time we punish ourselves. We're trying to pay a balance that has already been paid. It doesn't make sense. Your bill has been paid. There is no more payment and punishment necessary. Do you understand how you and God operate when, if you are in Christ. And here's the thing. This is where I'm talking about Christians. Because yes, there is a sin for our debt. If God has paid that debt, you're good. If you've never embraced his sacrifice, and if you've never squared up with God, you still are in a sin debt with him. But if you have received this, you and God are square. Yet we still live in fear. We need to understand the finality of how God treats our sin and the sacrifices we need. Let's look at this first together. Psalm 103. For he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. I love this picture to understand. Again, we're afraid our past is going to haunt us. Eventually, God's going to want to square up, and it's like that, that sin, your past, is still tied to you. Understand that God cut that rope. He broke that chain that ties you to your past. Do you understand what he does to your sin? It says there's so much biblical allusions. There are other passages. It says he stomps on it. He separates it from you. He throws it into the deep. He cleanses you. He forgives you. He makes you clean, calls you his own, and crucifies your sin to the cross, destroying it, and we hang on to it. Do you understand what he's saying here? that your sin in your past, that you're afraid is going to catch up with you, it doesn't say that he takes it really far from you. Even when it talks about the heavens above the earth, I just watched Apollo 13 again, and you know now that we can send up astronauts, maybe he's saying it's just like really far from us. It's not saying really far. God didn't separate you from your sin really far. He separated it impossibly far. And that's where I was just pondering, talking about this idea of east to west. That's how far God has separated your past from you. How far is that? 
far, impossibly far. So I want you to think of a globe. My apologies to Kyrie and your flat earth theory. We live on a globe. Listen, how far is the east from the west? How far do you have to go? Listen, it's impossibly far. If you travel east, how much closer are you to west? I will sit up here and look like a fool until you wrap your head around the fact that they never touch. There is no, there's no west. There's, there's no east and west. You don't travel east far enough. We made it to west. Do you get that? I mean, we can laugh because it seems silly, but no sillier than you punishing yourself for sins that Christ has freed you from. Your past cannot catch up with you to the point where God is punishing you for it. He has separated you from it. And it cannot catch up to you. I want to end with one example. Some of you, maybe you heard about it for the first time this year, the celebration of Juneteenth. Celebrate on June 19th, so that's where you get Juneteenth from. And this is celebration of the day where General Granger made it down to Galveston, Texas to proclaim freedom to the slaves in the deep south in Texas. Proclaim that you are free. And that's what the celebration of this holiday is, Juneteenth. And one of the things that's interesting to me about it, and I kind of toil with, is the reality of this holiday. Here's one of the fascinating things about it. So this is where those slaves were set free, experienced more freedom in Texas. Do you understand two years earlier, Lincoln declared the Emancipation Proclamation. Their freedom was declared two years ago. Months before, Lee had already retired, and yet they were still experiencing slavery. And the society is really frustrated by that, but still celebrates the freedom. Here's why I want to talk about that, because sometimes there's a difference between the declaration of freedom and the experience of freedom. And some of you are sitting right there in that gap you're sitting in that lag for the declaration of Christ setting you free. And the actual experience of freedom from fear and shame hasn't been experienced in your life. I'm praying that this is a spiritual Juneteenth for you, that finally that news, that Jesus has separated you from your sin and you could be free. That you walk out of here free. This isn't a general riding up to a city. This is Jesus riding into your soul saying, I paid for this. I've set you free. Be free. And that is my hope. That's just beyond me saying that, of Jesus paying that price that you experience that freedom. I want to bring out the worship team again. Because that song, the blessing, that's just been resonating on my heart. I even love some of the repetition and, you know, it's a little different for us, but I want it to sink in for you. Not just that you know, you understand it's been declared, but that you actually experience freedom in Christ. And we're going to sing a little bit of that blessing, of the favor of the Lord upon your life. Would you stand 
And let's sing that. Let's sing these words. May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations, in your family, in your children, and their children, and their children. May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations, in your family, in your children, in their children, in their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you. of you and have you understand that he is for you that his face and his favor are upon you and maybe that's foreign to you to just sing that over and sing amen but do you understand when you're singing amen what that means you're finally saying okay i agree that your love is upon my life to repeat it is to say it is certain But to say amen appropriately is to receive the favor of God upon your life. And I want to close with that, giving you the opportunity to say amen. Yes, God, your love is upon my life. Let's sing amen one more time together. Will you pray with me right now? Father, we pray amen. We begin our prayer with amen. It's not a rubber stamp at the end. It is praying that we believe that your love for us is certain. Jesus is our great amen. Our guarantee of your love in our life. God, right now, would you free us from the prison of fear? And would your perfect love cast out fear this morning? And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.